First things first, we cannot ignore one of the biggest events happening right now. Russia has invaded Ukraine, and there's really not much to say at this point as the news is so new, but I just we just want to mention how heartbreaking it is mm. to see the Ukrainian people and those in Kyiv, people who are fleeing the city, country, looking for bonkers. There's just a lot has happened and a lot to process. Mm, yeah, we discussed how we wanted to raise this in the modern idealist since I think, you know, we really believe in being informed citizens of the world and uh, we want to also acknowledge what's going on. And as you said, Valerie, there is a lot to process and it's absolutely devastating and we're still reconciling with how to sit here and talk about, you know, how we create a better future while this is happening, you know, next door, so to speak. We've added some links in the description for ways to get more informed and to find out how you can support. We think it's important that we value the knowing and knowing what you can do as well. Hi everyone, my name is Valerie. And I'm Marin. And welcome to The Modern Idealist, a podcast for career-driven professionals looking to make an impact. Welcome back to episode 7. So, today we're going to talk about our career journey so far, the adventure it's turned out to be for both of us, chasing our purpose and passions, and ultimately realizing its non-linear growth. I'm your host, Valerie, seated here in conversation with my co-host, Marin. Welcome back to Norway, Marin. I'm really glad that you decided to swap the warm sun out for the North Pole, because there's amazing company here, mm. right? Very true. Right, right. <laughs> People make the places, I've heard. Yes, this is very true, and I did get a very warm welcome back to Norway, back to Oslo, with getting COVID after the first week of being here. Oh, welcome to being a human <laughs> of the 21st century. Yes. Yeah. And you had it too, right? Are you, yeah. But on, on a serious note, are you feeling better? I am. Thank you. Very yeah. good. So let's jump right into our topic of the day. We really wanted to talk about non-linear growth that we've been on, right? And I think this is from conversations we've had about frustration, struggles. It never seems like it makes sense when you're in the middle of it. Mm. But I think we all have moments, or not all, but I guess you and I have had moments where we get the time and the leisure to reflect. And I think in these moments, I always come with like, you know, a new perspective, a refreshed way to like think about where I have been and sometimes it can feel really frustrating like it, sometimes it feels like you've just gone nowhere and you you tried something and it it's not the next thing that you were looking for and so you feel like you go back and you're back at square one and sometimes that can feel really frustrating mm. but I think when we are able to reflect on these times we realize that maybe it's not for nothing and no. it's a part of something more and you always see the dots connected when you look back yeah. It's much easier. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, just to, you know, elaborate on my story a little bit, I grew up Asian American in the U.S., in the South specifically, um, and coming out of high school during the last financial crisis, I literally, I mean, to think what kind of job or career I would put myself on, I had no idea. I mean, I was a bit obsessed with airplanes, so I kind of had a bit of, like, interest in engineering, but honestly... We were, my family was stuck in the financial crisis to cut that story short. 
I went straight to the list of the top paying jobs and I went right down it from number one and was like, you know, what can I do? And I think you've got like certain types of doctors up there and I was like, medical blood? No, thank you. <laughs> and I saw like some law degrees. I mean, that's just not me either. I saw engineering and I thought, okay, literally, why not? And like just went for it and was, you know, it matched my, the expectations that my family set for me growing up um, as Asian American, Chinese American, like to, you know, they have sac the story is that, you know, they've sacrificed for me, they moved to a new place to give me the opportunities. I mean, I don't like to think that I had the most tiger mom or tiger like parents, but there was some expectations that I would quote unquote become somebody. Mm. And I think, you know, at the time, uh, you just kind of want to make them proud and I went into engineering I actually was pretty good at mathematics um, I don't really know if it's a DNA thing or if it's just because I my mom liked to, me to you know memorize the multiplication table when I was like five or six so mm. either way good at math went straight into it actually really liked it and did make a change in between I focused more on mathematics in the end and for many different <coughs> reasons I ended up in financial services technology in the US post financial crisis 2008 so there was a lot of work going on there learned a lot of things from you know financial institutions in America or corporate and just learned a lot but I realized at some point of implementation work I wanted to become more strategic I wanted to make more impactful decisions in the work I was doing so I went to renew myself with an MBA after some years of working and through my MBA that I did in San Francisco, I you know, had a taste of digital and tech and innovation and I realized that the world was actually changing in a whole different way. In addition, I also took up a lot of courses in sustainability and how business plays a role in society and, and sustainability. And so when I was chasing innovation, I ended up in the innovation part of a big four consulting firm. Um, and after some years there, I also, realized that at the end of the day, the chase of pure profit also got to me and I needed to, to chase the purpose-led aspect of my work. And then I ended up in a purpose-led, uh, a now purpose-led consulting firm. So I just kept chasing and pivoting myself and now I'm in this place and while I really align myself with a lot of the work we do, sometimes I reflect on you know having given up on a growth that I had set myself on to before. And I wonder if I've ended up in square one. And it it's a, a dilemma and a deliberation. Mm. When you say square one, do you mean square one financially? Do you, or aspirationally, career-wise? Maybe more on the financial aspect and on the career aspect, not the aspirational piece. I mean, that piece is actually fulfilling mm, in many mm -hmm. ways. Um, and it's kind of like, is that actually strong enough to carry me through the financial aspect and the career growth aspect? Because in some essence, like, you know, you get feedback that maybe you haven't done exactly this type of work for eight years, but instead it was a lot of other different work but this is the part where I'm I haven't quite really made sense of everything or at least for a long period of time I haven't been able to make sense of the work I did like I did project management work you know years ago but even now it's like oh but have I done project management in my current type of work maybe not 
um, because I'm an advisor now on mm. sustainable uh, topics and um, in- inclusive growth topics. So trying to make sense of this holistic version of myself. And before I got to a like a good place where I was able to synthesize my thinking, I was certainly quite frustrated and you wonder if chasing this form of happiness and purpose is worth it sometimes, you know? Mm. Because sometimes I look at people who sort of have this very clear trajectory and it's sort of, okay, you, you, you know, you think of it like a staircase and you're just going up the stairs and, you know, you go from one job opportunity to the next, maybe it's in the same company or in like companies. And you just, sometimes I think, why can't I just be like that? I just want to have this kind of easy way of being. But, you know, we've talked about this a lot of, we both have this need to be unconventional, to drive change and to pioneer. We both have these pioneer spirits and it's like, okay, we need to <laughs> it's funny get uncomfortable. It's funny that you say that because I think you, I'm not so sure if I'm that person you described. Maybe I am now, mm. but I wasn't always but that's funny because i see you as that person so it's interesting (laughs) that and i just want to go back for a sec because i remember talking this was ages ago about you know some of the you, you talked about wanting to make your parents proud and how that impacted your career trajectory there was a time when i was younger when i really did not get their endorsement and to the point where maybe my father kind of threatened to disown me wow okay can you share a little bit can we go deeper there (laughs) so I there was a point in my life when I was really interested in pursuing a career in music Mm. and I I've, I've been I've played violin all my life and been in different orchestras but also I wanted to pursue even more I wanted to get to understand audio production or audio engineering music production and I even went out to different schools and toured these schools I think at the time it was also during the financial crisis my parents didn't do really well so they they had their own business exactly they had their own business Mm. that went really really under I think they took a bit out on me also I, I that was the first time I probably actually uh, went against them and said I, I wanted to do something and I felt this calling um, and it wasn't anything reputable mm-hmm. it was yeah to be a musician to be an artist like that's not reputable in the Chinese American in the immigrant story mm. and this comes back to that I think you know uh, that we've talked about this rebel spirit and being unconventional. I remember the story that you told me about how one of your <laughs> friends from the uh, yeah. Chinese American community yeah. stopped talking to you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I love that you think I have some rebellious sides to me right now. And I'm like living this late scene kid lifestyle right now. <laughs> and I'm like going to get all my tattoos and all my piercings tomorrow <laughs> as a 30 some year old. But um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, it was really crazy to learn just recently, like just this past year from my parents that I had a really good friend when I was younger. She's like a sister to me and we shared a lot um, of interest in common. We helped each other grow. We want, we almost had this vision together to make music together. Mm-hmm. And I think I almost, at the time, I didn't know what happened. 
um, suddenly I was in college, we were um, producing music, we went to local music studios, produced different songs and things and sending them in for auditions and sending them in for plays. And we, at some point, randomly, she stopped talking to me and I was really confused and hurt and she tried to come back and give her explanation. I didn't fully understand, but I respect her. I always have. So I respected the respected the choices she made and the decisions she made, but I never fully understood why and I always took it a little hard on myself. I always wondered if because I'm this older sister figure, I wondered if I was overbearing to mm. her and and I am now I'm overly conscious about my um dictative tendencies which I don't like to think that I have too much of. I don't of. identify that um, in you. Yeah, like, and I, I and I think I like you. I don't know, I have this weird relationship with that, you know, I should probably drive a little bit more, but then I'm really nervous to make someone uncomfortable. I think I'm a little bit jaded from traumatized from this personal experience cuz I lost a friend for a few years. This specific friend and, and she wasn't very specific about like she didn't give you feedback to say no this is what happened I exactly. think that's where the real trauma lies is like what happened you were so close yeah and she, she didn't give you an explanation exactly um, so I, at the time absolutely so I always sort of wondered what happened there and um, never learned from her what happened but I think I learned through my parents recently um, what happened so you know, they told me that it was actually because her mom asked her to stop hanging out with me. And to be honest, I was really, really sad when I found out her parents. I you know, kind of acted like I knew, but I didn't know the exact reason. At least I didn't know that they knew. Like, mm. you know, in, these immigrant groups, they, they talk amongst themselves. Mm. But somehow they knew. And they specifically pointed back to me playing music or pursuing music. And to even think that they use this term in like, Cantonese and it was like her mom didn't want her to go down the wrong path but usually you use that for like people who end up you know taking drugs yeah, drug dealers yeah like yeah like yeah. in Chinese specifically like it's like you don't want them to learn bad that's the technical term mm. and to think that pursuing music meant that I was equal to in my head like a you know taking drugs mm. at that age I was just I was yeah. really hurt Mm -hmm. But then hurt for a while and I had some reconciliations about that or thinking through what happened. But then it was talking to you that made me realize, no, I, I don't have a rebellious story. I was never that rebellious because I was raised to be obedient. I don't like the word docile, but there's something about like me being raised, be a good kid, like fit in, don't be a disruptive person, you mm. know, like you're a minority, you're, you have to prove yourself perfect here. Mm. And I didn't get that chance. Yeah, I shouldn't put it all on just that because I know other minority groups who were able to find that rebellious story for themselves. Mm, mm -hmm. But I didn't. And suddenly at like 30-some, I learned that in my teens, I actually had a rebellious side. Mm. And I had a like stronger side of myself. So How did you reconcile when your dad basically was saying that he would disown you like is that did you end up giving up music or did you just kind of keep doing it like I what had happened up. yeah I gave it up immediately we cried we argued I fought for a night I didn't go through wow. he didn't buy it and then I gave in and I went to that list I told, mm. talked about and then I ended up in engineering wow it's kind of like the opposite of me I felt like I was constantly going against the grain of my parents and fighting against them and rebelling and wanting to go down I don't know whatever path <laughs> I could to be disruptive um but do yeah. you think you went sort of opposite to them or do you feel like feel like maybe they 
they kind of let you potentially mm. well i think so for me like my rebellious years were as a teenager and it was very kind of silly my parents weren't super strict but i was like i wanted to go out and have this freedom and and have parties with my friends and you know my parents were like oh you can't loiter down the main street or you have to come back to a party from a party at this time so I think it was just little things like that feeling like I was being hemmed in all the time Mm. and it's funny because I'm just thinking about it now as I'm saying it I do have this feeling sometimes that if someone is uh, trying to you know, maybe even in a relationship sense that if someone's getting too close, they're trying to hem me in and I'm like, I need my freedom. Like <laughs> I have to have some form of freedom. So Right. And you've been, yeah. so you've been basically practicing that in, since your teens. Yeah. I really need do to you, work through. <laughs> but do you think that that influenced, you know, your career in your career journey? I think, well, I mean, I guess regardless of me trying to rebel against my parents, I guess they gave me space to do that in a way. Mm. You know, they didn't disown me. I, you know, I'm sure I threatened to run away umpteen times, but my parents, you know, never let me. Um, But I think I've had a wide scope in terms of trying to figure out my passions, my purpose, where I want to go with my career. But it's interesting because, you know, you were saying how your parents had this expectation of, you know, having you study something that was very reputable, for example. Like I feel for me, um, my parents would have been completely happy if I had have become a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in year 10, like that's two years before you finished school in Australia. So I was 15 and I remember I had a cousin who used to do hairdressing and I was like, oh, this looks fun. And she would always practice on my hair. And so then I started doing it with my sister and my friends. And then my mum said, oh, maybe you'd be interested in doing hairdressing. And so I remember we went to this salon and I sort of looked around and I'm like, oh, this isn't really what I want to do. But my mum was like fully (laughs) willing to like say, okay, if you want to leave school in year 10 and become a hairdresser, like sometimes I actually think they would be just as proud yeah, Maybe even more, <laughs> you know, if I had done, like had my own hairdressing salon versus like all of the different things that I've done, you know, from from politics, working with my own businesses, that yeah. kind of thing. So, I mean, you yeah. just, you went and then you figured out like, the, or then you kind of got a sense, no, this isn't for me. But you, you tried, in a way you kind of got close to trying it. Mm, I guess so. Before you said no. And yeah. I mean, in, in essence, that, you know, sounds like the lean startup method, right? Like it's like, or you kind of test mm. it. And if it's not you, then you pivot or yeah. I'm over extrapolating. I do agree with you that I have had a bit of a lean startup approach to my career. I've tested things out. I remember, you know, we won't go into mine because I think, you know, there's um, a lot more episodes. Feel free to share a specific thing. <laughs> but I think a specific thing is I've really reflected on the serendipity in my career trajectory. So that lean methodology that you're talking about, the more I think about it, the more I identify with it. So when I was a kid, uh, my cousin and I used to love making radio shows together. And I do like some TV shows on my dad's old camcord camera and uh, I was working in two bars and two fashion stores 
when I was just out of school because I didn't know what to do. And I had this friend who had this amazing work ethic and she had three jobs. So I'm like, well, maybe I can do the same. And so I had in one of the bar jobs, they were, this one woman was talking about how she just left um, a job as an account executive in radio. And I was like, oh my God, like I love radio. I make up my own shows, I make up my own ads, everything. And I just was like, how, how do you get a career in radio? Which I thought was like the dream job at the time. And then I, yeah, basically I called up the sales manager. I think he was a young guy as well when he got in and he saw me. And even though I didn't have a degree or anything at that stage, he took a chance on me. And so that was kind of something that I went into for, you know. But I love that. I mean, I, you just you test it, you go for it. You don't like think 10,000, you know, risk and rewards before you go into it. Like, you know, I probably would have done like, is, how much will it cost? How long will it take? And I would have to come up with a whole plan, pitch <laughs> it to my family, get their approval and then do it. I mean, why not just test it out and just see if there's a future there or not? I, I like that aspect of influencing people, especially younger people and kids, because I think we carry that, I think trauma is a very heavy word, but like I carry some of these risk values with me from my mm. childhood. And I'm just now learning to like let go of some of that and be, have a bigger risk appetite and also be that rebel because I'm, I'm so far from being an actual rebel that like I still have a lot of room before I'm anywhere near danger. Really. Well, yeah, so. I think you're a rebel, <laughs> but danger rebel. That's what I would say you need some work on. I can teach you some things there. Okay, sounds <laughs> good. I Don't let to... me get the... Some piercings. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't guarantee. But I also wanted to touch on that. It's interesting because my grandparents were Italian, came to Australia. My grandfather came to Australia when he was 18, started his own business. And I use that as a lot of inspiration for risk taking. I always think, oh, if my grandpa could do it, then I can do it. It's like nothing for me to take a plane to Europe when he, you know, took a boat that took I don't know how many days or how many months to get from Italy to Australia so I think that for me well I'm not gonna say I think that for me is a huge inspiration but it seems like maybe there needs to be one step removed because you had parents that did the same thing they were migrants who came from Hong Kong they took massive risk mm. but you as the daughter it wasn't like, okay, well, I should be taking the same mm. entrepreneurial risk as them. Mm. So I wonder... Yeah, there's yeah. a generational switch, I guess, mm. between that. But I also hope that I'm now an immigrant again, and so are you. Mm. I mean, mm. we get that perspective a little bit. And it's like, we can also do it completely new this time. We don't have to exactly swing back to old ways, mm. um, like skipping mm. the generation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but paying respect to some of, and understanding where they come from. I think that's mm. really helpful in carrying forward. I mean, I'm just thinking earlier, you know, a, a lot of what we do, whether it's migrant background based or, you know, your parents having grown up there locally, like there's a certain, certain set of societal expectations here. I mean, going back to what you said earlier, you know, there's this linear growth and this climb the corporate ladder at least i totally bought it i was just like that that's gonna bring my family any security that's where i'm gonna go down and i needed to you know you grew up with this like, try this out change it up pursue passion get this hustle side on 
place where I was coming from, you know, being this model citizen. Mm. Um, but what I realized is in both of these paths, it's kind of like, you know, I'm finally realizing that our experiences and capabilities don't aggregate linearly the way that I used to think. Mm. But it's just a mix. Like you just did it differently. You did it. You've always been, took bits and parts of what you liked about yourself and what you liked about a job and you carried that part forward. Now you're here. We're in the we're similar fields now, similar thinking space, a capability space, but I came here in a different way. I was thinking that very thing as you were talking about your story and we also were talking earlier tonight about how we both come from regional areas, you in the US and me in Australia. And, and they seemed quite similar. There were a lot of parallels. Small towns. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that, you know, then you had your sort of idea of what a career path was and how you've gotten to gotten to where you are now. And then same with me. And we're on this level playing field, despite the fact that we've had these very different paths of getting there. Yeah, no, exactly. I, but I, I think the fact that, you know, our experience and capabilities are, are, are showing up in different ways now, that matches the future of work and where the future of work market is headed. Mm. I think, you know, in our previous conversations, you brought up like, it, we need to assess how people are learning in the future. How are the jobs of the future gonna look? How would we, you know, as employees be performing there? Like it's a total different landscape. Mm. Um, and I'm just thinking to bring in, you know, a concept that I, I came through, the, I came past the other day, the career portfolio. It was an article from the Harvard Business Review, Ascend, um, titled, Why Should You Build a Career Portfolio, Not a Career Path? I mean, this is exactly where I'm saying my past, your past is like, it's coming together for me. There's actually an advocacy for this way of being just to better define what the career portfolio is opposed to a career path, which tends to be a singular pursuit, you know, climbing the ladder in one direction and focus on what is straight ahead. A career portfolio is a never ending source of discovery and fulfillment. It represents your vast and diverse professional journey, including various twists and turns. I mean, whether that's made by our personal personal choice or you know circumstances life mm. circumstances I really like that because I think of it like when you're building uh, a financial portfolio you don't just invest in properties or you don't just invest you know in properties in the same town or city you don't just invest in the same stocks so on and so forth so you diversify your assets and that's what creates wealth and I like to think of the career portfolio in the same way that you're diversifying your assets being your skill sets and that's creating your own uh, wealth of experience or your own richness of life in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's really interesting you say that. So there's two parts here. The, the first one about how we can come up with a logic to diversify our portfolios. Why wouldn't we have done it in the first place with mm. our skill set? Yeah. Um, I think that's so interesting. But it's also interesting in the article that it actually kind of points to how um, this is one step even further, the career portfolio, because it's sort of this like grid network, how like we actually get this form of synergy that maybe the portfolio, uh, an investment for portfolio might not even reach because like suddenly if you've done these 10 different jobs that you've done which you probably have you're much more diverse a skill set than i have but um you can suddenly get jobs that are a combination of three or four things and that just grows i mean the endlessness of that just grows absolutely i actually one of the most interesting things i have a friend and she 
um, is working in HR in a corporate organization that's headquartered here in Oslo. And she applied for this job in, um, in the HR and leadership department. And she had worked with me on a frame, applying for a frame agreement, a leadership frame agreement with another corporate company. And she was a part of this process. And what was interesting was she, when she was asked in the interview, have you had any experience you know, working with things like this? She said, well, I actually worked on this framework process for uh, leadership for an organization. We didn't win this contract actually, but because she had that experience, that was a huge selling point. Mm. And she was like, well, but wait, I, um, I didn't, we didn't get the contract, but it wasn't about that. It was the process and the skills that she developed in order to, uh, in the skills that she developed that would add value to her role. Mm. So she obviously had a lot of like also amazing skill sets to bring to the table prior to that but just having the experience of going into this tender process and building a suite of leadership tools yeah in this presentation she was able to get that and you're consulting for a lot of you know large corporations Mm. Um, do you see that you know this is being recognized more because i have to say like i'm i'm very excited by this form and i see that sometimes people with these diverse skills that gets recognized and it is very rewarding and then you realize that you've got assets and and capability and you've got value all around you that we're Mm. just not even tapping into it's just overlooked and underutilized Um, but on the other hand Mm. like I feel like that might I don't can't understand the how the percentage Mm. of people who actually buy into that mindset at the moment because my personal opinion tells me that every day we just got to get work done and Mm. people overlook Mm -hmm. it we're still in silos we're still working in our sectors we're not talking we're not thinking about these cross I think that's really interesting and I have two points to say to that the first one is in research I think it was by I think it was the Central Bank of New York. There was a 27% of people who study in the US don't go into their um, into jobs that they focus on in their major. So that's one interesting thing. And then the second thing is, I think that that diversity of skill sets and what you bring to the table to any job, I think it's just so essential to be able to see things from different lenses. Mm. But one of the reasons I think in my experience, it's not being focused on so much is because when we think about diversity, it's interesting when you are working with a corporate who wants to focus on diversity and you hear them say, oh, we have someone in the team who studied anthropology. Like, absolutely, that is one of the, you know, most fantastic enabling degrees, having something like psychology or anthropology or understanding human behavior. It could be that or you know, having a background as an Olympic athlete or a mm. professional athlete brings so much to the table in whatever role. I have an ex-boyfriend who was a um, an international rower and he became a doctor and that was like a huge selling point when he would be applying for jobs. Like having that background was something that, you know, no one else had that, but it gave him discipline, grit, commitment, all these wonderful skill sets that he right. could take into his job, um, you know as a doctor so I think so I'm segueing back and why I think this diversity of skill set isn't something that is a huge focus now I think the focus 
will get there later because right now there needs to be more of a focus on bringing in people with diverse backgrounds who are minorities mm. and who are you know black or people of color mm. and i think the way that i experience working with corporate organizations they can just take off one bite at a time mm. it's like the saying how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time and i feel like right now it's still gender and gender equality mm. but there needs to be a massive push on people of color then there needs to be understanding more minorities and different genders it's mm. not like there's a even a, just different walks of life mm. right like you you bring with you different mindsets from your upbringing from yeah the likelihood of different universities that you went to and the angles you had to go through to please somebody or how do you establish relationship with somebody like right now mm. in the corporate world it's very homogenous yeah um and absolutely we're not welcoming a different way so for example how could you expect two different regions to collaborate very well when their cultures aren't mm. they don't understand the culture very well because yeah. they're they're singular to themselves um or different countries they're not collaborating you know this put the thought in my head that i just have to squeeze in before i'm gonna force us forward <laughs> After, you can jump in Go if you have for to. It. i was thinking one of the big barriers to this really nice futuristic vision that we have where people can be more holistic and in, in a diverse skill set is that we need experts today because we rely on on certain people sometimes we need subject matter experts in you would want that building your rocket your airplane your you know mm, these important mm -hmm. things um scientists who are studying certain things you need that but at the same time what i think is changing is technology is playing a role because in the past people haven't been able to document all this change and you're not able to cross knowledge as fast and so you rely on these different um, experts because they're these walking human brains you know or not human brains they're, they're walking <laughs> um uh computers that's what i was thinking like it's almost like they are the right now they're walking computers but it's only with that person if if they you know touch wood die then they they die and it goes with them but now like as we're going to be able to document things more and cross pollinate the information more because there's all these technology about how to quickly find files that relate to one another in in a one suite of you know files mm. in your computer. I mean, all of these are just technology playing a way to connect ideas like across a computer, across a team of people, across a corporation of people, across, and then you grow and grow the amount of people. So I think that provides for me like a huge opportunity to how we can actually get to that future version so that you can be a subject matter if you want to, but you're not forced Mm. Mm -hmm. or in, yeah. and I think this is interesting because I remember listening to something the other day and it was talking about how you know where leadership and career trajectories went awry and so there was this idea of if you want to make more money you need to climb the corporate ladder or you need to become a manager there are so many people who don't want to lead and manage people and that's why you know you've heard the saying people don't leave bad jobs they leave bad bosses like some people mm. aren't really don't have the desire yeah. or the inclination but they Absolutely. want the career growth because as you were talking about before there are these societal expectations and one of them is to earn more money have a better title yeah. all of these kinds of things but there are some people who want to be subject matter experts yeah and they also want to have some sort of growth Absolutely. and um, be able to work in different 
ways as well, not just specifically on this linear path yeah. to being that subject matter expert. Yeah, straight up to C-suite. No. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> well, but that's the thing. Like even these with these subject matter mm-hmm. experts, maybe they want exactly. to do DJing on the side and that kind of understanding of music is something mm-hmm. that brings into giving them a r- richness of, mm-hmm. yeah, it's some creative outlet gives them a way to become better at their job. Mm-hmm. And so looking at not just, you know, how this whole climbing the ladder and how the leadership management mm trajectory is kind of broken but understanding how to support subject matter experts but then outside of all of that looking at okay people have other things that they enjoy doing and are passionate about outside of their work Mm. that can add so much value inside their work yeah and you know that that segues us on to another topic which we haven't touched upon yet yeah i just need to sum up the portfolio uh, career portfolio just so our listeners hear it, but we'll put a link, you'll find the link um, along with this episode to further read the article. What's really important to understand is how to turn the mindset of a career portfolio to actually help you utilize it so that you can, yeah, to help you navigate your career growth. Mm. Um, And in the article, it talks about crafting a portfolio narrative. So it's basically I yeah. love that. I always talk about narratives and mm. how you how you write a narrative that's you know, it's you have to have a workable narrative for yes. your life. Yes. And by throwing things in there that are disempowering to you or you know, looking at say maybe you've been in a similar kind of role as an accountant or something and you want to get into the startup space or you want to get into leadership. If you're just sort of looking and saying, okay, well, all I've got is these accounting roles. Well, maybe that's something that would be a huge asset. Yeah. Um, and maybe there are things that you've done outside of your work, yeah. which would also get you into a role in, you know, absolutely the startup world, yeah. for example. But I think coming back to like, you know, what you said before, if you're a pioneer and we're doing these kinds of narratives for the first time, meaning it's not, it's non-linear and it's not chronological, it's going to be a little tougher for those of us who are going to try this portfolio career narrative because we haven't seen it done enough times mm. to know what works. So have patience. Like, I don't fully have it yet either. I'm still working on it. Like, But I think every time I stop and take a break, I come to better terms with my own narrative, my own career portfolio narrative. And I think that really helps because it's going to move very soon to a different for, uh, format where it's not like, I came out of this education and then in 2000 and blah, 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 I was doing this. And then 2000, two years later, I was doing this. It's not going to be chronological at some point because it's going to move into this more of a portfolio. Mm. And things are shifting and that is refreshing. And as we talked about with these different uh, global reports on Gen Z and millennials and the way that we switch and change jobs, like this is not, I'm sure there are many listeners out there who are identifying with this mm. um, and maybe if you haven't done it yet you'll have more confidence to be able to do it exactly and, you know set the narrative for yourself on how to go about it yeah something that I also really want to mention that we talked about earlier and we were we found so fascinating maybe it's more of a suggestion for our listeners to check out it's a TEDx talk called the squiggly meaningful career by Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis in essence you know, they talk about how they move from a traditional ladder climbing mindset in their careers to, to this squiggly growth and how it's actually enabled them. Mm. I think it's a really insightful video. 
I really love how they talk about the difference between uh, the stepladder climbing, you know, the climbing the stairs mm. versus the squiggly. And I think of the meme where it's got this picture of what success looks like and it's just got this line traveling from the bottom on an angle going upwards and mm. then what success really looks like and then it's the line and then a massive squiggle in the middle and then a line going upwards exactly and each squiggle is individualistic right it describes that person everyone's gonna have a different twist and turn and how we try things so i think i'm really excited to find my own squiggle mm. yeah <laughs> but it's also very interesting that you mentioned earlier. And one of the things that I love that it mentions is the fact that 50% of skill sets will be irrelevant by 2025. And this again reinforces why you should adapt and change and explore new areas and why you should upskill yourself outside of, say, a four-year degree, for example. Mm, exactly. I think it touches on how a lot of the roles that we understand today was just a construct made to, you know, make the business work at the time that was needed. Mm. Um, and this was probably when industries were blowing up, you know, in like the 60s, 70s, and we probably needed a project manager always, or we probably needed a certain, it might be the same roles, but the skill set will change as we are changing. So I'm gonna have to wrap us up um, about right here, because we're gonna try a different section this time. All right, so as we're coming up to time, I'll close out with a summary quoted from the HBR article. In a world of uncertainty, talent that can expand their thinking beyond boxes, silos, or sectors will be in demand. Those who will make an effort to build a career portfolio now will be more prepared to pitch themselves for and even to create new opportunities as they will be more well-practiced at making creative connections between their various skills and the skills required of the jobs they wish to pursue. Mm. Mm. Very inspiring. I'll leave you with that. Uh, so we learned in episode two that actually people really enjoyed our reflections mm. on our own journey and our conversations here. So let's try and have an end section here for us where we do wrap-up reflections. Uh, we can even call it Pearl of Discussion. Mm. Pearl of the Discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marin, um, if you were to share a quick reflection mm. of our conversation today. My reflections, my wrap-ups, I'm just thinking of rap, and I'm going to the Snoop Dogg concert on Sunday, and I'm <laughs> so excited. I just have to say that. I'm anyway, jealous. my wrap-up reflections is that change is genuinely happening. And I believe we can be more proactive in that process. So I say, don't be afraid to shake things up, whether that's shaking things up in your workplace or in your career narrative. I think I talk a lot about shifting the needle, but this I feel is a season for us as individuals to be able to do that. We have the power with our feet. We have the power with our voices. We can create change now and be listened to. And mm. Was that specifically made for me? Because I will just take exactly those words and live <laughs> my tomorrow. So what's your <laughs> pearl of the discussion? So I think for me, a reflect, the big overarching reflection I have is to be more comfortable with this balancing act of my patience. I'm going to be impatient with, you know, 
how things are going. But I'm convinced that I need a bit of this impatience in order to make things go forward and in a more creative way. I need it, but at the same time, I should not run myself up against a wall just because I'm just running out of patience. And I think the balance act takes a lot of practice to get to. Um, so I think I'm still working on it, but I would hope people who could take a word of encouragement from me would be to just try it out. And it's okay if it is confusing because yeah, it's, um, I think you need to be impatient sometimes and with your patience and you need to be patient with your impatience sometimes. Mm. I like that. I can definitely, I, I really am impatient and part of me is like, no, but the impatience is a good thing. But I can definitely take from that because sometimes just thinking about the fact that it's a marathon, not a sprint and realizing you have so much more time than you think you do. Exactly. Um, and like, it just, you know, it means you, you, you just take this stress off your shoulders as well. And you have this feeling inside of like, this is going to actually happen. Exactly. And I think I'm also like walking myself out of this work construct that I've been set into. Mm. And speaking of work constructs, we will be discussing the hot topic of the four day work week in our next episode. We know it's been around for a while, but it's had a resurgence in the media because the legislation's just passed in Belgium for workers to be paid for a four day work week. So to be continued, see you next time. <music>